politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, liberty, property as if it is all on the line because here on this 13th day of December, Wednesday, it indeed is all on the line and it is getting worse. You know, as we power towards the end of the year, it's our last week in broadcast for 2023, you could really sum up the year and its failures. The failure of the GOP Congress to do anything on or with the numbers and statistics of three issues. We keep talking about that. The budget, debt numbers, the border numbers, and the sudden death numbers. Okay, so those are kind of the fundamentals. They're killing our body. They're taking our sovereignty away. They're killing our economy, our quality of life, our, our, you know, the American dream is dead. And today I want to talk about primarily the immigration stuff. We're going to have a riveting interview coming up with a border agent who just left the border after 10 years of service. He couldn't take it anymore. So now he's going to spill his guts to us on everything he saw and what's what's wrong, the fundamentals, what we're getting wrong about it, our whole approach to so-called border security, which in itself is a misnomer. Uh, but I first want to start off with some COVID stuff, you know, because that's really what it is. If you think about it, they're killing Americans still to this day with the with the COVID shots, dying suddenly, and then replacing us with invaders. And we are nowhere closer politically to dealing with them. Um, just first, some somewhat of a brief issue brief. I just want to kind of do a lightning round of some news uh, that you might not get to. Electorally, Republicans are screwed. The New York Superior Court ruled that the congressional map needs to be thrown out. That's going to allow Democrats to potentially win back six seats in New York alone. Um, And this is on top of the fact that the federal courts have already given them a seat in Alabama, and then they're still gunning for seats in Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, Louisiana, and Utah. So when you put it all together, the courts are a one-way street. As I always say, they strike down every Republican map, but then the Democrat gerrymanders are, are all fine. You have this imbalance that they could wind up getting another eight, ten seats easily. I mean, if they win all of them, it would be like 13, I think, um, just just from that alone. I mean, this is just one of the existential problems we have, that if your biggest goal is to win a national election, win control of the federal government, we have some major problems, and nobody has a solution for that. Um, and, and that's on top of the fact that, uh, you know, Biden has just secured majorities on the 2nd, 4th, and 10th circuits. So they're quietly continuing to confirm as many nominees as they could get for Joe Biden. And I, I mean, I would argue they already had pretty liberal majorities because a lot of the Republican appointees were bad, but they just flipped the 10th, even with just straight up Democrat appointees. And he already did the second and the fourth um, in addition to what they already control, which I guess is the first, the third and the ninth. They for sure controlled. So you put that all together it's it's bad. And and then the, the, the ever-important D.C. circuit, of course, which they've controlled. So, I mean, that's going to be a big problem, not just anything we want to do federally, even if we win, but in the red states, 
anything we want to do, they're going to give us issues with. And, uh, you know, nobody has a solution to that. I warned about judicial supremacism a long time ago, but that's where we are. One other thing on electoral politics. So um, Oklahoma, there was another special election, Senate District 32 out in Comanche County. Uh, The Republican won by 11 points last night. Now, I know people are going to say, Daniel, you can't read too much into it. There's all he was outspent. He was vocally a social conservative and everyone was gunning for him and and the and whatever this. And I, I get it. But this is a seat you should win by 30 points based on the presidential spread, at least 20. But to win by 11, all, you could throw me all these confounders that I don't know about. And if this were isolated, maybe I would buy it. But when it's together with every other special election, all I'm saying is it demonstrates an environment where at a time where historically the Democrats, given the position they're in with a guy like Biden, uh, the economy should be dispirited and depressed turnout and our side should be energetic. They really seem to be Uh, running up their numbers, even in red districts. Now, they won't win them, but what that portends is anything that's any close to being competitive, there's no way they don't win it. And yet we're told that not only are Republicans going to run the table on that, but they're going to start winning blue seats too in 2024. So again, just just another data point there with that. Um, One other thing, and I'm just, again, this is a lightning round. The NDAA. The NDAA, um, just seven Republicans voted against it in the Senate, so it passes. Uh, just seven Republicans. It green lights every bad policy we have. And again, meanwhile, we have the continuing funding of UNRWA, PLO, Lebanese Armed Forces, Iraq, Syria. Heck, even Switzerland and Germany are now cutting off funding for the UN, or at least UNRWA. And meanwhile, once again, our ships are being attacked or, you know, international ships are being attacked in the Straits in the Red Sea by the Houthis. And we are doing nothing, certainly no offensive actions about it. So why even have a military? But again, these are the discussions that you would have with an NDAA, not we got to fund the troops. We got to fund the troops. Uh, And by the way, they're funded anyway with the appropriations bill. The authorization bill is to deal with policy, but none of that. Um... Where are we? Oh, and Biden is now engaging in a coup. He's openly calling on Net- Netanyahu to resign. He was doing this privately. Now he's doing it publicly. Uh, so he wants a coup in Israel. So he's not only supporting Hamas, he supports a coup against um, the Israeli government. And uh, yeah, you know, it's that's that's the life we live. By the way, another great analogy or metaphor for... Um, Western civilization against Islam. IDF soldiers were in Gaza and they found large quantities of weapons in in, in a certain house, you know, like Hamas weapons. But in that same house, they found medical documents that were issued by an Israeli hospital. That's kind of weird. Turns out that there was a kid of that family, that Hamas family who lived in the house that has cancer and he was treated for a long time in an Israeli hospital free of charge courtesy of Israeli taxpayers. 
So while Israeli doctors worked to save his life, his own father stored weapons to kill Israelis. That, my friends, again, is another great metaphor for uh, where things stand with Islam and the West. You know, you just you get you get bitten by them. Um, one other thing in this this sort of lightning round, uh, Tucker Carlson's been in the news a lot. He announced his new thing, which is basically a partnership. It's going to be a partnership with Don Jr.'s a media company. And he had Dana White on, and it was basically a commercial for Bud Light. And, and, and you know, Tucker says laughingly, oh, really? We should be promoting them? Uh, I thought we should be boycotting them. And then he kind of laughs and then allows Dana White to go on. And, you know, so so now if you don't understand how entrenched the Trump orbit is with Bud Light and the tranny agenda and the very corporatism that we all hated, you know, we're sick of the corporatism, we're sick of the social liberalism among GOP donors, they are promoting it, the Trump orbit, more than even the traditional establishment, and Tucker is all part of that, and then Tucker went on Megyn Kelly and he said, I'm a total sucker for Trump. The, the problem is that we have heard, we have candid uh, videos from Tucker because of the whole Fox Dominion lawsuit, where he said the guy is retarded. I don't. I'm, I can't wait until the day where we no longer have to talk about him. I mean, it's so transparent what happened with him. You know, Tucker was pretty was relatively more hard hitting on his Fox show than anyone else. He would at least drive a narrative that was relevant, and we were all hoping, okay, he leaves Fox now. He could really do what. I do on this show, but we needed with a bigger audience. And since he went off Fox, he's a hundred times worse. It's either downright grifting for Trump, grifting for retarded people, or it's just like an Oprah show now. Oh, it's some nice interviews, interviews with Tucker. Everyone has a story while Rome burns, like not driving a narrative. It's nowhere where it was. On his Fox, so he's actually worse off than he was. So again, watch for that to be the future of conservative media, where uh, you know it's all about Don Jr.'s media company. And even if Trump goes by the wayside, this is the way of the future. So it's even worse than Fox, worse than Fox, just irrelevant, irrelevant grifting. But that is where we are. Um, I did want to get to the COVID stuff, but man, we might have to save time because I, I have a special show with our border agent friend. So we'll see what happens with our time management. Um, our interview today is sponsored by our friends at Noro Hacker. Well, what are they hacking into? Well, they have a new product, Qualia Synolytic. I know that's a big mouthful, but basically what happens is over time, when you get to my age, you're pushing 40, upper 30s, your body just doesn't work well, right. It, it just, you remain sore forever, even when you shouldn't be sore. You have these random aches. You have less energy. You're lethargic. You're always tired. Why is that? That is because you have these dead zombie cells throughout your body that are worn out. They're not serving any useful function for our health, um, but they're taking up space and nutrients, kind of like a computer uh, chewing up bandwidth. So Qualia Synolytic is a product that much like pruning the yellowing and dead leaves off a tree, it removes those worn out zombie cells to allow for the rest of your body to thrive. What I particularly like about the product is a lot of supplements you have to take every day. This is two days a month, non-GMO, 
uh, gluten-free, the ingredients are, are complement one another, and as a 100-day money-back guarantee. So you, you could sit and take it for three months and see if you, you know, see your uh, yourself being more productive, enthusiastic, more energy, less pains and aches. Resist the aging at the cellular level with Qualia Synolytic. Go to norohacker.com slash conservative. That's norohacker.com slash conservative for up to $100 off by using code conservative at checkout for an additional 15% off. Again, that's norohacker.com slash conservative for an extra 15% off. So folks, before we do get to our interview I just want to plug for tomorrow's interview. We're having Congressman Bob Good on. He was just newly elected as the chairman of the Freedom Caucus. So, you know, we, we got to up our game. The Freedom Caucus has really underperformed and it's been too fractured in my mind. So let me know your questions for him, uh, what you want him to tackle, uh, what you want him to focus on, where you think he could do better with the Freedom Caucus. Uh, so that will be tomorrow. Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com if you have any suggestions. But I'm really excited about today's interview. It's an interview I've been meaning to do for five years, but for obvious reasons couldn't do. Amon Blair, he spent 20 years in the Army with the Texas National Guard. And then the past 10 and a half years, he doubled up as a border agent in the busiest sector, the Rio Grande Valley. And he served on the river itself for a few years and he's seen everything. He's seen it from all perspectives. And, you know, he just, he couldn't take it anymore. Uh, it's a pretty good paying job, especially for that part of the country. Uh, he's got kids. But after just 10 years, you know, it's not enough to get your pension. He gave it up. And how many more are going to be doing that? Both on the military side and the Border Patrol side. I mean, this this really represents the service that we used to have in this country where we wanted our best people that are intelligent that could you know make more money in the private sector, become a border agent, become uh, a soldier. But we've made those institutions insufferable and literally antithetical to their stated mission to the point where now you're only going to attract people that don't share our values. So people like Amon are, are, are leaving. And since leaving the Border Patrol, Amon has been a senior fellow for the Texas Public Policy Foundation's Secure and Sovereign Frontier Initiative. He's also does some consulting for Omni Intelligence, a private company that provides some intel and advice on you know tracking the transnational threats to Texas and the U.S. And he is finally here today, unshackled to speak to us candidly about his experience at the border. Hey, Amon, I can't believe we're putting this conversation public. Finally, welcome to The Blaze. Hey, welcome. Dan. Uh, thank you. This is uh, this is amazing. Long time coming. No, it certainly is long time coming. So we're at an interesting point in history where the, the issue at the border, the invasion is worse than it's ever been. It's getting worse by the day. It's out of control. On the one hand, everyone recognizes it. Okay, it's not like it was five years ago where it's just kind of a group of us talking about it. Every Republican's like, oh, it's terrible. We need border security. We need border security. <laughs> but lo and behold, after a year of GOP control of the House, um, it's gotten worse than ever. The numbers are worse than this year than last year. What is the biggest misconception among Republicans 
about border patrol and the concept of border security in general? Sure, that's a really good question. Uh, I would say the the biggest misconception is actually understanding what is actually happening. So uh, as it stands right now, whenever you hear any of the rhetoric or the narrative coming out of uh, Republicans or the GOP, uh, you constantly hear them saying that uh, uh, the Biden administration is failing. Um, But when you look at the situation, um, you can actually see that Biden and Mayorkas are actually succeeding in their mission. And what I mean by that is um, this, what's currently happening on the southern border um, is weaponized mass migration. You had Joseph Humeyer on your, your show recently talking about weaponized mass migration. But what people don't realize uh, is that the Biden administration and uh, Department of Homeland Security um, are utilizing that hybrid uh, tactic or hybrid warfare tactic against our own sovereignty. So it is their whole intent and their mission to eradicate the sovereignty of our nation through this uh, hybrid attack of weaponized mass migration. Uh, that he's taking the same playbook as Lukashenko is taking uh, from Belarus and what he's doing to Poland, Latvia, and Lithuania, where um, in, in, um, in Belarus, what he did is he invited um, many foreign nationals into his country. He um, relaxed his immigration, uh, let them in, used travel agencies um, to bring them in, and then he... Uh, paid money to bust them to the borders of each of those other countries, Latvia, Lithuania, and Poland. And what is also interesting is when he was doing this uh, back in 2021, uh, the, commis- the commissioner for the uh, EU uh, came to the United States, came to uh, the White House, and formally declared that it is not a migration crisis, but it is a hybrid attack. And so because of that, uh, just because of using that definition, it has allowed Poland to repel, um, quote unquote, asylum seekers uh, that Lukashenko was using as a weapon to eradicate their sovereignty. And so if we take that playbook, that same playbook, and analyze what is currently happening on our our own southern border, we we can see that the Biden administration is following um, a a history of non-state and state actors doing the same thing to other countries' uh, sovereign borders. And uh, if you read a lot of the studies that uh, Joseph Humeyer talked about, um, and you'll see that more than 80 countries or state and non-state actors have done this since the 1951 Refugee con- uh, Convention. And so framing it as such, um, as an actual uh, form of warfare, um, this in, this uh, weaponized mass migration, you'll then be able to realize that um, it's never going to stop. Um, he, in his mind and Mayorkas's mind, they are succeeding. And whenever they do say it's about security, they are securing it. What they mean is they're managing the security of the, the foreign nationals that they're bringing into the United States. That is what they are securing. They're securing that process of the humane and regular migration uh, of every foreign national throughout the world. And then if you look at uh, the rhetoric that's in it, that was recently done at COP28, 
um, you'll see that uh, soon, or they're talking about climate refugees. Yep, that was and, that global warming conference in Qatar they just held. Or was yes, it sir. Qatar or one of those other countries? It was there? in U- U- yeah, in UAE. UAE. Yep, it was in the UAE, yep. And so when you look at that rhetoric and you'll see that there was an Australian think tank that projected about 1.2 billion people migrating uh, due to uh, the, the climate disaster or, or climate crisis that they claim. And so, unfortunately, we, we have set the stage here in the United States where the Department of Defense, DHS, DIA, they've all stated that climate, um, the current situation with our climate is an existential threat to the United States. And therefore, if it is an ex- existential threat to us, and it must be to the rest of the nations, which would allow the people to migrate to the U.S. Um, and so uh, it just uh, furthers their, their um, whole mission of eradicating our national sovereignty and then really eradicating our citizenship that uh, Victor Davis Hanson talks about. So, so in other words, what, what you're saying is before we get to brass tacks, before we get to the mechanics of the border the problem is with Republicans and, and a lot of fake conservatives is they talk about this as if it's a natural disaster. Well, there's there's a border crisis, you know, like like, like, like a hurricane. Something blew them over. And Biden is failing at properly uh, and efficiently, competently managing it when, in fact, no, it's, it's an organized attack. Uh, they're doing it in all sorts of fronts. Uh, they're doing it with their NGOs. And, uh, you know, so when Republicans say that Oh, we need an exchange for Ukraine, which I'm not going to get into now, but like, you know, we shouldn't be doing that at all. But in exchange for Ukraine funding, I need some border security, border changes. But in fact, describe in the current context what would happen if I would hire more border agents, uh, more detention space, more drones, more assets. What would that translate to? Uh, More illegal immigration. That's what it would translate to more people coming in. So that's their that's their whole point. When you read all the studies that uh, Joseph Schumacher talked about, you read all the history of weaponized mass migration. You realize that the whole purpose of it is to uh, one create chaos and to uh, make it uh, to coerce that that nation state to force all their tools and their resources to address that threat. And so by increasing the amount of border patrol agents, all you would be doing is increasing the ability for agents to then expedite uh, the people into the United States, the illegal aliens into the United States. That's all you would be doing. In, in regards to the drones, um, now drones are one of our, uh, our greatest threats on the border as there are thousands and thousands of incursions. And we, we rarely ever are able to take them down. Um, and so counter drone would actually be more, uh, more useful. But um, unfortunately, uh, the Border Patrol uh, Agency as itself is kind of being turned into a humanitarian relief agency. So a lot of the uh, dollars are going towards that and going towards the management um, or the, uh, the humane management of the foreign nationals coming across. So really, any tool or any resource that we add onto right now will be used for Biden and Mayorkas's 
um, orchestrated mass migration. So, so my question to you is, I mean, and this is what I've long said, but as a as a you know, border agent in the really hottest spots there in like around Star County, you operated, uh, you know, right there on the river where at least until recently. For about 10 years, it's been the busiest spot. Now it's kind of transferred, you know, westward in Texas and now in Lukeville, Arizona. But the point is that it, it's not a resource problem, right? It's it's a it's a malignant problem. You you invite illegals, they'll come. You disinvite them, they won't come, right? It's it's you know, you cut off the magnets and certainly stop funding it and stop having these NGOs uh working with them, they they won't come. So the question is, what do you do? In other words, you're saying that obviously it's not it's not a resource issue. Um, I've long advocated that the only way to fight it is because you know you can't force them to actively do something they won't they don't want to do because uh, they don't follow the law anyway. Is to leverage the states to be like, okay, you you incentivize them, but we'll disincentivize and give authority to the states to deport. Aside from that. If you were a member of Congress and had a, you know, a, not wanted to have a knockdown, drag out budget fight, appropriations fight, with the risk of a government shutdown, to harness national attention on one aspect of this to leverage one policy, is there anything that you would advocate for that should be done, either either legally or or uh, tactically, aside from empowering the states to deport? Yeah. Now, in all reality, well, the first um, is understanding the situation. And uh, I would first um, like to see um, members of Congress uh, taking the situation and um, comparing it to, like I said, to all the Joseph Humeyer's work and others work in weaponized mass migration to truly show that um, this is an actual plan. And there, um, and there, nothing is going to change uh, unless we highlight the fact that uh, this is actually planned. Um, and then the next, really, um, after that, um, leveraging, of course, uh, I know that uh, the New York City mayor went to the White House and then came back and stated that all is lost. Um, and that's because his power and clout uh, doesn't match the clout of those who are controlling this country. And so, um, really, it's going to be all up to the states. And um, really, Abbott could shut this down um, if he if he wanted to. Um, we have 36th Infantry Division, so we have an entire infantry division in the state of Texas. And um, but unfortunately, um, just like a a quote from a Marine Corps uh, uh, doctrine manual that. Uh, we base our operations uh, from the our perception. And so you can tell how Abbott operates on the border. Um, and you can tell, I mean, you can tell how he thinks what the border is and the border situation is based off of how he operates. Um, because really, by tomorrow, all you would have to do is tell the uh, commander of 36 ID, uh, we are activating you, your entire division, and you are given this, date and time to have the border completely shut down. And then you would be able to have the 1,254 miles in Texas completely shut down other than, of course, the ports of entry. So so in other words, you're saying that there's a lot of pictures with a National Guardsman deployed and sometimes 
increasingly more aggressively doing enforcement actions here or there, but it would reach the level of law enforcement. It's not a military, like you said, a Marine doctrine, a kill perimeter. I'm not necessarily saying kill people, but a a secure perimeter that, you know, it's not a matter of we're going to manage law enforcement. Oh, you did a crime. Someone someone just came over. Let's arrest you. Um, Let's get you away from the feds, which is better than giving them to the feds. But you're saying, no, no, nothing gets over. It's a secure perimeter. Um, and 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 that's why it's kind of like a, a dog and pony show, what he's doing. Yeah, correct. So really, you would just be following Operation. I mean, you'd be following the 2006 Secure Fence Act. You wouldn't allow anything to come across the border uh, in between the ports of entry. Um, and you would also make it so that you had 100% situation awareness and domain, domain awareness of the border itself. Um, because as it stands right now, we're still completely blind. We don't have 100% domain awareness, meaning uh, we still don't know who, what, where, why, how, or when people or um, other illicit commodities are coming across. We just don't have 100%, uh, let alone um, a per- like perimeter fencing or a wall. Um, and so um, that would be the first really thing is, and, and the fastest way that you can do that is by p- placing manpower there so you can actually see what is actually coming across. And that would be uh, uh, um, having the 36 ID actually activated on the border itself. And, and then from there, then you can start building infrastructure. Um, but within a matter of weeks, you'd be able to have a, a complete secure border. Other than, like I said, uh, since the Biden administration is, is utilizing his parallel immigration uh, system, uh, whether that's through CBP-1 or actually flying them in um, to airports, uh, throughout the United States, um, that weaponized mass migration through that way, but you'd still be able to stop what's coming in, uh, between the ports of entry. Have you noticed a qualitative difference between the type of people coming over when you started? You know, it was during Obama's term versus now. Just in terms of the quality of the people, the belligerence of these people. Have you noticed a difference? Yeah. So um, as it stands now, I mean. Our assaults are going up. Uh, they're being a, they're a lot more aggressive. Um, they're uh, they're carrying a lot more uh, weapons when they're uh, smuggling the illegal aliens. Um, and and then also we're seeing a lot of different types of nationalities. Um, whereas before it was mostly South American, and then some countries in the, in the Caribbean. Uh, but now it's from every single country uh, in the world. Um, and so that is a, a drastic change um, to include also the uh, the uh, those on the terrorist watch list that we do end up apprehending as opposed to those that get away. Have, have you experienced dealing with Chinese a lot? Yes, sir, I have. Yeah. And what do they look like? I mean, are they desperate looking or are they wealthy looking? What do they, what do they look like? Um, you're going to have a wide spectrum. So you do have those that look like uh, they've been through the ringer. And um, so you have, um, you have some families that are coming up um, that uh, claim uh, that they are Christian um, or they claim that they're a certain religion and, um, and they're coming to seek asylum that way. And then you have the others that are uh, military males. Uh, you can tell just by the way, uh, they um, appear or their mannerisms uh, that they've been trained. But unfortunately, we don't, um, as agents, because we're so inundated 
by design, of course, like I said, by design, we're so inundated with a massive influx of foreign nationals. Uh, we're unable to, uh, to address the, the Chinese threat or the, the mass migration of Chinese. In the very beginning, if you, if you remember that China was on complete lockdown because of COVID, and they fully opened up, I think it was January 7th. And when they did that, that's when we started seeing a massive influx of Chinese coming into the United States, where they're going into Ecuador, coming up through the Darien Gap, going to Mexico and coming up here, or they're coming up north. If you look at the numbers from the northern ports of entry, you're going to see a massive amount of uh, Chinese and Indians. And so that's when we really started seeing that flood. And, but in the very beginning, it was taking us almost four hours to do an interview because we had to use translation services and we were going through and trying to do our checks and balances to figure out who these uh, Chinese actually were, if they were actually threats to the nation. But when we got inundated with more Chinese and we started getting our numbers started increasing again, uh, we just didn't have the, the, the time to do so, to or resources to do it. And so now really um, you, you ask them basic questions, whether they served in the military, their name, their biographical information, what university they went to, um, and if it's uh, a university that's backed by the CCP or the military, uh, that's a red flag, then they have to go through the entire process. But really, it's only basic questions that are asked of these Chinese, and then they're released into the U.S. They are released. I mean, again, asymmetric warfare there. Folks, this is all pretty depressing, but uh, we got to go through this. Uh, But as you listen to my depressing stuff, and we'll be off there this week, um, a great time to watch something a little bit more uplifting is my buddy Phil Robertson, my colleague. He has a new <clears throat> documentary out about himself, his story of redemption, which is very salient this time of year for Christians. Um, you don't see too many genuine stories of redemption in the media or in uh, Hollywood. It's called The Blind, a Phil Robertson story, the man you've come to love and know, uh, his trials and triumphs and you know, how he became the man he he was. Buy it today at blazetv.com slash the blind. Blazetv.com slash the blind. It's all of 1999. Would make a great movie night with, you know, the <clears throat> the spouse, the kids, especially headed into uh, Christmas. Again, blazetv.com slash the blind. All right. So, Amon, um, <clears throat> you know, what I'm trying to figure out here is the type of personnel that is now going into Border Patrol and would remain in Border Patrol. So, you know, it's bad enough we talk about the morale of law enforcement, you know, local police. So they're basically being handcuffed, uh, denuded of of taking the proper actions they should and, and doing the, the right sorts of uh, proactive policing. But we don't really have a situation, at least not yet, I mean, widespread, of the police downright being tasked to, like, embed with uh bank robbers and help them rob the bank. I mean, I don't think we're quite at that level. Whereas if you go to Border Patrol, it's not just that you're not doing your mission. It's that the mission is 180 degrees the opposite, that they're literally serving as vassals and conduits for the cartels to more efficiently uh, maintain this invasion and maintain it in a way that doesn't raise the ire of the public, kind of manage it very efficiently, uh, which is worse than inefficiently because that would kind of force a resolution. So, Amon, who y- you got out because you couldn't take it anymore. You saw there's no purpose to you doing this. And in fact, you are violating your conscience. 
who are the type of people that are remaining or even joining new? Sure. So the ones that are remaining, there are some that are close to retirement. And they're just like, we're just going to hold out. Um, there are those that uh, they don't know what else to do. They don't, they don't have other skill sets. So you have a lot of veterans that have joined um, because of the actual, if you read the actual mission of Border Patrol, of securing the border, and you know the foreign terrorist organizations that are across in Mexico, and you know the threats that are coming across, and you want to still serve your country. So you have those guys that are hoping that maybe that there's another administration that will uh, come in and step in and reverse this current trend. And so they're, they're hoping for an administration change. Um, and then, um, so you have guys that are still out there, um, even though that, that we're faced with uh, all that's going on politically, they're still trying to get things done. And that's why they're still catching narcotics. They're still trying to catch uh, the, the criminals that are coming up. And so you still have those guys that are just uh, do- trying to dominate as much as they can. Um, but unfortunately, then you have guys that really don't care. At the end of the day, you have guys that are just there to collect a paycheck. And like you said, uh, when you started the podcast, it is a decent paycheck. I mean, <laughs> as a federal agent, we make pretty good money, especially down here in Rio Grande Valley. And so um, they're just there to collect a paycheck. They don't care what happens to the border. So long as they go to work, they get paid to do whatever they, it is, have an easy, easy day, and then come back home. So those that we're hiring, with all this new rhetoric of us being more of a humanitarian agency, mm. really, that's kind of the, that's really kind of the candidates that you're also seeing. Now, you are seeing people along the border because there's the economy on the border is not the greatest. <laughs> and so when you and so when you have kids growing up. Um, I was ranch liaison, and so I was a liaison to the the, uh, the border community itself. And so we would go to high schools, and really they'd be they would really look to either being a DPS trooper or border patrol because you're making eventually you're making over six figures, and in the Rio Grande Valley that's great money. And so they're seeing it as an economic opportunity to get out of poverty, um, regardless of what they're doing as their day job. They could they could suffer in silence as so long as they could provide for their family. And so you have those and you still have those that still believe that the Border Patrol is still doing uh, its actual mission, what they should be doing. Um, and they've been misled. So. so what I'm concerned about, and I wanted to see if this is a growing trend, is do you have a sort of and I don't I don't have a good way to describe this other than maybe. So so, so they they view our side that we have these like law enforcement, military-oriented, patriot types, hyper-masculine, you know, very patriotic. Um, and that was kind of the stereotype of uh, any law enforcement or military institution for, for many decades, dating back to really our founding. Is there a growing trend of a left-wing equivalent starting to do this? Because my concern is, looking at and 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 you could speak to this too with the military because you left the military as well yes we are seeing recruitment problems with border patrol with military and local police right and and depending on the city it's sometimes really bad but it's not zero okay it's not like there's nobody coming i can't fathom how anyone of our ilk could join that at this point are you seeing any signs of like again i don't know how to describe it but maybe an Antifa-style mentality or a left-wing 
because because they're making it a toxic climate for people like us. Is it going to start to do you do you fear that they're going to start to recruit their own types of people to be in a position of wearing a badge and a gun, be that military, be that law enforcement, be that Border Patrol or ICE, certainly FBI we're seeing. And then we're going to have some serious uh, tyranny problems with them. Or is it just those are, you know, green haired types that will just never get involved in that? Uh, that's a good question. I actually really saw this, and we saw this during uh, COVID, right? We saw all those like myself that refused to take the uh, uh, the the jab, um, and that's what, of course that's why I had to. I was forced out of the military uh, last year because I refused to do so. But um, so you saw a lot of us that didn't take the jab, um, and you saw how our battle buddies to the left and right somewhat treated us. Uh, they, uh, there was a de- dehumanization process and we were constantly ridiculed, uh, by either, um, those who are left and right, but, or also by our leadership. And we were really made to be, to look like we were kind of a threat, like a, a bio threat, uh, to our own teammates. Um, and, and you really saw this and, and you got to realize like a, a lot of the officers, of course, a lot of the officers are coming from universities. Right. Um, so whether they're coming from West Point or whether they're coming from all the universities across the United States, they're being educated by the extreme liberal uh, professors. And so that ideology is now permeating in um, a lot of the, the leadership within the military um, because um, really they're jumping. If you go to ROTC or if you go stri- um, straight to a military academy, you're automatically coming in at 22, 23 years old as an officer in the army uh, with those far leftist ideologies and as a leader. So you're really seeing that. And we, we really saw that during COVID. Now within Border Patrol, it's a little different because really the, the immigration debate kind of separates you a little bit in terms of a Republican and Democrat, or it used to anyway. And so really uh, there is, there's a lot more conservatives within uh, the Border Patrol than I would say in the military. Interesting. Except for, except for, I would say, in the National Guard. The National Guard, depending on the state, has been somewhat kept away from a lot of the active duty type of um, monstrosities that are happening. Uh, it does happen here in the Texas Army National Guard. I mean, it did happen to us. But there are some really, really good command, company commanders and, um, and battalion commanders in the state of Texas and they try to hover around their soldiers as much as they could. Um, so, but within the border patrol itself, um, you would see compared to active duty, you're going to see a little more conservative ideals, and that is just Interesting. because of the nature of our uh, of our job. So you're saying yeah. it still sorts it out that it's not like you're going to have, you know, a bunch of Antifa guys like I want to be an ICE agent to subvert their mission. You know, it's just because the the stated mission, whether they're doing it or not, is antithetical to who they are. Um, I'm just concerned because because we certainly see that with the FBI. Clearly, there are, uh, you know, it's not just a few bad apples that the FBI is saturated with people who believe that, uh, you know, Hamas is not a problem, but you and I are. And it's not just a few of them. So I just want to make sure they weren't doing that with Border Patrol. You're saying it's more just apathy, just, you know, coming near retirement. It's good money. What else am I going to do? I'll just put my head down but not so much that it's downright subversive from the rank and file level because it's already subversive from the, from the leadership level. 
Right. Well, I mean, you are seeing you are seeing some of the people uh, being submersive to uh, Mayorkas's line and narrative. Uh, narrative. You're, you are seeing that Kool-Aid being uh, drunk by by leadership. You can see that in Del Rio where they're trying to destroy um, uh, what Texas is putting up. You're seeing them constantly cut the Constantina wire. You're seeing kind of Amon, Amon, freeze frame right there. I- I'm glad you brought that up. What sort of border agent does that? I, walk me through the psychology. I'm a, I'm a rank and file border agent, just like you. Got into mm-hmm. it for you know roughly the same reasons. Maybe some of it was economic. Um, and I go and you know I'm of by and for Texas. I live in Texas. I go to high school with uh, went to high school with people who became Texas DPS agents who put up the infrastructure, and I'm cutting it down. Is it just like hey, I'm just following orders? You know, some of it is, um, but some of it really, um, Joseph talks about this and then all those others that research weaponized mass migration. So the real key in weaponized mass migration is what they call hypocrisy cost. So when you when you coerce a bunch of foreign nationals to come to a sovereign border, um, you're going to find you're going to it's going to be a manufactured humanitarian crisis. So you're going to find women and kids and all these people coming from poor countries by design. What it is, it's by design is to make those that are sworn to protect the country either choose security over your religious values and ethics of humanity. And so when you're faced with that on a daily basis, by design, it is to wear the, the emotional state, the spiritual state, of the people that are sworn to protect this nation. So what they end up doing is like these people, they start drinking the Kool-Aid that these people are asylum wow. seekers, even though, even though technically we know that only a between 11 and 17% are uh, quote unquote actual true asylum seekers, uh, but they start uh, seeing them in that light. And so uh, they're going to cut the razor wire because they're there to provide relief to the humanity the manufactured humanitarian crisis. So, are, so in other words, while you and I both know, and they would know the same thing intellectually if you study it from a public policy standpoint, it's like, yeah, I mean, you have half the world is in poverty and desperate, but we all know it's yeah. harmful for our country. You can't have, invite the world. It's got to be shut down. And, and I think any sane person who's not a leftist will agree with that. But then when you go and induce it and it's happening, so mm-hmm. you put agents there every day, now, yeah, there's plenty of guys that look like they just came up tattooed up out of the Venezuelan prisons, but it's not like none of us disagree that you'll have, you know, there's certainly a tremendous amount of belligerent-looking young males, and it's often the majority these days. But yeah, you'll have a woman and a child come up, um, you know, barely breathing outside of the Rio Grande River, coming up the thing there, coming up the the berms, and. That in itself intellectually doesn't make a rationale. Oh, so what? So we just let them in and, you know, just deal with it? No, we got to stop that. But you're saying on an individual micro level, you're not setting policy. I'm just tasked with being here. I see some desperate people. They need help. And then that, you know, and then that's how you start having Borstar and Bortac, which are highly trained, designed to combat the bad guys. Basically, they're just doing humanitarian stuff. Yeah, so uh, and that's just because Borstar, of course, are uh, EMTs and paramedics. 
Um, they're just like uh, our air, our version of Air Force pararescue. And so really they're there to, to check on that. Uh, but, but that's been happening since uh, really the, the, the caravans have been coming up. Uh, we were taking BORTAC and BORSTAR off in 2019 under Trump. Uh, we, were, we were utilizing HSI to no longer go after human trafficking cases and have them do hospital watch or, or driving our 15-pack vans. So it wasn't just this administration where we were taking people from their actual job yep. of national security or And, and or let's be clear, this was bad, 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 bad during the Trump administration until COVID. Mm-hmm. Yep, it was bad. I mean, I mean, you know, obviously that baseline was blown out even more. But, you know, Amon, I mean, I, I'm sure I'm, I'm assuming you could attest to the fact this wasn't just one or two months in 2018, no. 2019. No, it was it was for a very extended uh, period. And and so uh, the same process happening. The, the big difference is um, this president is inducing it and it's manufactured by our own administration um and he's willfully um eradicating our sovereignty whereas previous uh administrations maybe you could say that with obama but um it wasn't that it wasn't the case he just had really bad advisors probably yep yeah i mean that's certainly uh the case that we we saw over and over again with a lot of the personnel choices um, man, we're almost we're almost uh, it's so late here. I barely scraped the surface, but I want to move over to the second half of this, which is the cartel. So, um, you know, I think we all agree that you know ninety nine percent of this is is not an infrastructure, an asset problem, even a military problem. I mean, we've made it that way. It's literally just a policy problem. Okay, you stop inviting them. And you you make it. We all and we always knew this. The way to stop illegal immigration is to make it illegal, right? And which we don't. Right. Um, in other words, no job, no 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 K through twelve, no bennies, no anything. And if we catch you, you're going to be deported. And then not just ICE, but you know, which has like you know at most six thousand ERO agents, but empower every state and local law enforcement to get involved in that. It, 99% it would drop. And we've seen that, you know, even when on a smaller scale, we had enforcement, um, a, a disincentivizing, it drops and they won't come. Um, but then you have the cartels. Now, uh, the majority of the cartels is empowered by this chaos, the distraction, the money they get from the human smuggling. I get that. But could you, Amon, could you isolate for us the cartel threat alone. Could you could you describe it first to us? Give us a sense of when we talk about the invasion. So it's all these people from 150 countries just storming over. Some are more belligerent. Some are more just kind of impoverished. But either way, I think it is appropriate to call it an invasion. But then describe to us the degree of cartel control from the ground and the air of our side of the border vividly paint that picture for us. Sure. So this is, this is kind of hard to talk about because people don't want, a lot of people don't want to hear it on both sides of the aisle. Um, and it's the, it's a certain type of warfare. And those of us in the military, we call it, uh, whether that's counterinsurgency or counterterrorism, right? It's a population centric warfare. Meaning I, I have a question for your audience how do all these people get away into the United States? Who is operating 
the stash houses, who are operating them, who are, who are driving all these people across the United States, who are the ones that are actually watching our every move as law enforcement. For the most part on our side, it's U.S. citizens. And if you look at how insurgencies operate throughout the United, I mean, throughout the world, um, you'll see that um, they operate within the population. They control them either through coercion or through through socioeconomic economics, uh, corruption, you name it. And that is how it is down here. So the Mexican cartels control. And when we say control, it's the same way as if I said the Taliban or ISIS controls a certain region in the Middle East. They control it here in the United States, but they have a, a specific uh, uh, foreign strategic policy not to make it go kinetic or to make it violent on the border to, so it won't shut down. So they control the border on our side by different means, and that's through corruption, through, um, through coercion, um, through the, the possibility of being kidnapped, and also uh, through socioeconomic means, meaning they provide massive amounts of dollars and money to a lot of the uh, low drivers, the, the juveniles. Um, I, I was just speaking to a juvenile my last week as an agent. Um, he was 15 years old. He's making three grand a week cash wow. smuggling. And, and so when you, when you have that throughout the entire um, area on the southern border, uh, the, then it's, you can see, I guess, you can see that the cartels are controlling it, but not in a way that many Americans think that war happens where you think of like World War II or, or Vietnam, where they're shooting at each other with weapons. No, this is a different type of control. It's a population control. And, and unfortunately, um, our law enforcement systems do not capture that. Um, we That's what I was going to ask the- you, because what you're getting into now is already beyond even just border patrol. Shouldn't this be the job of Texas DPS globally and, and you know, the Houston and San Antonio uh, police departments, for example, to root out where they are. In other words, I understand a lot of people will say a lot of these people aren't even illegal. Some of them originally were finagled status, like a bunch of people. Some of them, they're they're legal immigrants. They're cross cultural, you know, ties. And some might might just be, you know, good old native U.S. citizens for many generations. Get involved in that to a certain extent. But I don't care who you are. How is that not shut down? Because that you yeah. don't need, you don't need the feds' permission for that. Right. And so when you look at the situation right now, uh, there's really no way to or it's very difficult to link uh, anything related to the cartels or their threat networks of like tier one gangs and whatnot. Um, You have to go through a system called National Incident uh, Based Reporting System, NIBRS, under the Uniform Crime Report. And it has to all it's all voluntary and you have to be trained to do it. And so there's really no way to put uh, a counterinsurgency method or whether it's human trafficking, child trafficking, uh, smuggling, all those different criminal, uh, cr- criminal um, enterprises, um, those are not going to be going into that base. So when you have El Paso mayor, you have the city of El Paso, or you have uh, recently, uh, I think it was Henry Cuellar come out and state that uh, the, the border is uh, the, the safest in the world. Just look at the FBI reports. Well, the FBI report is pulling it from NIBRS. So it's not showing any of this so it's showing really the cartels 
aren't operating uh, along the border. And, and so it, it just helps their narrative. So really, uh, Texas already has something set up. We just don't utilize it. Texas uh, created in 2003 um, a Texas Department of Homeland Security and in which they have multiple committees, like the Department of Agriculture um, is part of that committee, um, and where they can combine. And that's when they also utilize the joint intake centers, uh, the, the fusion center, the intelligence centers. So they have an apparatus already in place to do counterintelligence on all the threats that are actually happening. It's just there's no willpower and there, there's no manpower to do so. Um, and, and that all. So Abbott, Abbott did declare the cartels are foreign terrorist organizations. Yes. Right. He made it by an executive order. He declared that. Well, then where is the counterterrorism effort after that? <laughs> well, kind of like so, when he banned mask mandates and vaccine mandates, but then they just continued. Right. And so so really, um, this is this is a lot higher than what law enforcement can do. And that's why uh, others like Jason Jones um, and everyone else is telling everyone to. Uh, designate them as foreign terrorist organizations so we can bring the national security apparatus, all the intelligence agencies, that we can bring them in and and we can utilize uh, what the Department of Defense utilizes against all other foreign terrorist organizations. But but they're not going to cooperate. I mean, the feds aren't going to cooperate. So what, what would a state – like, for example, let's say you're advising the Florida governor, and I say that just because he's yeah. one of the few that would probably want to do it as opposed to others that they don't really want to solve the problem because their donors uh, support illegal immigration. But let's say you're a governor of Florida, and you wanted to clamp down on all of the – all of the – sort of networks that funnel illegals into the state. Mm -hmm. What would you go about doing? So you declare them as yeah. terrorists. Mm -hmm. And then what? What can yeah. you do on your own? Yeah, so I I would I would develop a system um based off of like say like the Florida Department of Homeland Security. Um and where uh, you'd have multiple heads uh from each um uh I guess, department, whether that's uh, Department of Agriculture, uh, you'd ha also have it in the financial sector, just like just like how the federal government would do it to ISIS. Um, you would create that somewhat same system in the state of Florida. Um, and then you'd be able to do a uh, threat network analysis. You'd be able to have to have a fusion center. And then you would also break it up. Um, just like here in Texas, we have 24 um, COGS or um, uh, regions, 24 regions, and councils of government in the state of Texas. So what they did is they broke up the state of Texas into 24 regions. And all you would have to do is have a joint intake center for intelligence sharing amongst all those different agencies for each region. And then it would go and feed into uh, the, the Texas Fusion Center. And then you'd be able to, uh, in real time, fuse that with operations on the ground. Um, and then Again, also with, say, like the Florida issue, since he has a lot of shore, I would also be able to utilize uh, the Texas military department, I mean, uh, the Florida military department, and then also his state guard. Um, now, in regards to his state guard, um, they would have to, of course, be uh, trained to do so, trained to do perimeter security, um, trained alongside uh, Coast Guard since he is on the coast. Uh, but making sure that based off of um, 
the how that uh, the threats that are coming into Florida itself typically use their avenues of approach uh, from the ocean. That's where he would have a constant base of either of state guard um, as just a, a perimeter defense. So you would you would really do it as as if uh, the federal government is doing it in a foreign country where you would have conventional and unconventional methods. The conventional would be the perimeter defense and perimeter security. And then the unconventional would be the, the fusion of intel yes. and and um, other methods that we would use in unconventional warfare. Yeah, so this so is it a, can be done. It's a robust effort, and you're saying it requires manpower. I mean, Florida is more of a wealthy state. I mean, other states, it would be a little bit tough. I would like to see a red state, you know, alliance where they they uh, work together. They officially created some, some something like that, but it was, I mean, they're not doing anything with it. But if you did something with it, I think you could pull resources. But again, I just want to reiterate um, that a, a lot, of, you know, uh, the lion's share of this would go away if you denude them of the demand side for it. If you just make it clearly yeah. that you cannot live here illegally and get anything done, um, it really denudes the cartels of a lot of the demand side for it. Uh, because you know, if, what's the what's the point of trying to achieve an end of living here if you can't live here? Um, so that is really where a lot of the battle is. But I do want to end off. I know we're we're almost out of time here, Ramon. But if I had to put you in charge, and or you know, we have a good administration in over a year from now. Again, ninety percent of this you'll take care of just simply by making illegal immigration illegal, just not inviting it, and certainly disinviting it. And cutting off the magnets. But in terms of assets, I had a good administration that just wants to, you know, get rid of the Hakons, get rid of the drug trafficking as much as you can. You're never going to, you know, in law enforcement, you minimize, you're never going to fully stop that. And certainly like, you know, the drones, the surveillance that the, 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 you talked a lot about the population insurgency, the cultural insurgency, but you know, the kinetic force that they have they, they generally don't shoot at our agents generally but that sort of physical control they exert what sort of assets do you feel we need that we don't have or is it all just mindset uh first and foremost it's mindset um like i said that that statement from the marine corps um uh we operate based off how we see so therefore i need to change how they see and the only way that I can do that is the only way really that you can do that is through an objective military style assessment of all the threats uh, that are uh, emanating from our nation's borders. Um, you, an objective assessment stating that the Mexican cartels are foreign terrorist organizations and they have a threat network through, throughout the United States with tier one gangs um, and with just uh, and they operate um uh, in, in a sort of hybrid warfare or a regular warfare type environment. And then you would also have to uh, address the others, uh, the other networks that have a nexus to our southern border. And that would be Hezbollah and Hamas. And that would also include China and realize that China has an unrestricted warfare against us and are using the cartels and their threat networks in the United States as, a pro as proxy fighters um, through drug warfare. Uh, the same thing that Mao did to his own people, uh, China's doing to us. Um, they're, they're making our societies addicted to opioids, uh, destabilizing our environment and making massive amounts of profit at the exact same time. Um, and so, uh, just, to, uh, an actual understanding and a true objective assessment of all the threats 
Then once we actually understand the problem, then we can figure out all the tools that are necessary um, to, to stop it. Uh, how do we stop gray zone conflict? How do we stop irregular warfare? Uh, what are our past successes? What are our past failures? And then go from there. But really, I think the, the first thing is actual mindset itself. Yep. And then you'd, and then we'd be, re, we would realize that we actually have everything that we need to actually stop it. We just need to do it. it it's not exactly. It, it is a two bit thing. We could crush it if we wanted to. Not only don't we want to, but again, our government is involved in this, and and it's this is just lost on so many uh, so many members of Congress on the right. Wow, Amon. I mean, I've been waiting for this for so many years. We're gonna have to do a couple more installments of this. But I wanted to get you in before the end of the year. Um, where could people follow? Do you have a social media profile yet? No, sir. I uh, I, I took away all my social media profile as uh, as a DHS employee. Um, you can find me at. Uh, well, I can give you my email address. It's going to be a Blair at TexasPolicy dot com. As I'm a senior fellow there at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. A Blair at TexasPolicy dot com. Email Amon if you have any questions. Um, if there's any way, you know, you want to get involved at an activist level in, in advising, you know, in your state, we're going to we're going to definitely work on this issue at a state level, clamping down and disincentivizing where we can't fix the border. Could we fix the state and say, look, you know, you'll come, but you just won't come here. And that's something I want to do in this legislative session. Uh, thank you for your service, Simone. Uh Thanks for telling your story. Thanks for standing strong and, and making the sacrifice to do the right thing. And and, and hopefully others will follow your lead. Um, folks, we're just about out of time. So we got to pack a lot more into the final two days. But until tomorrow, God bless you all. Micah 6-8. And thank you for listening.